Last year, in the middle of the pandemic, we were asked to fill in a census. The whole country was asked to do it. We were asked to do it every 10 years. They ask a whole load of questions about your age, who lives in your household, your profession. It also asks you about your religion. Now, the results of last year's census are going to be published in May and June this year. And it is expected that for the first time ever, the number of people in the United Kingdom who would say they are a Christian has gone under 50%. Now, this is no surprise because there has been a downward trend. If you look at the census alone, so 20 years ago in 2001, 72% of people in this country said they were Christians. 10 years later, 59% said they are Christians. And we suspect that in 2021, that number will be below 50% for the first time. And that's an interesting challenge for us as a church and for us as Christians in this world and in this society. That for so long, we have called ourselves a Christian country based on Christian values. And in some senses, that is true. But in other senses, it isn't. Because if you think of the values of God, If you think of the values of the kingdom, of grace, of mercy, of love, of forgiveness, of truth, of all of those things, we don't see that as readily in our community and in our country as we would like. Rowan Williams was the Archbishop of Canterbury. And back in 2014, he was looking at the numbers of people that were saying that they are Christians. And he said this, Britain is no longer a nation of believers. We have entered a post-Christian era. We are no longer a nation of believers. We have entered a post-Christian era. We have entered an era where far less people know any of the truth about Christianity, where far less people are interested in Christianity. They would say that they are spiritual, that they want to understand what life is all about. They want to find contentment and peace and hope and joy. But for many people, they are not looking to Christianity for the answers. This is a true story. I promise you a true story that somebody told me. This Christmas, a primary school teacher asked their class this question. What is the name of the baby in the Christmas story. Loads of hands shot up, like Val. Val's got her hand up. And uh, there was this one little lad that was really, really wanting to answer the question. So she said, yes. What is the name of the baby in the Christmas story? And he said, Wayne. And she said, Wayne, why do you think the baby in the Christmas story is called Wayne? And he said, because we sing that song, A Wayne in a Manger. (laughs) Now, we have a little chuckle at that, because that is quite amusing, that he thought A Wayne in a Manger was A Wayne in a Manger. It amuses me, but it saddens me that that little lad doesn't know who Jesus Christ is, that that little lad does not know that Jesus Christ loves him and has the power to transform his life forever. And that is where we find ourselves in at the moment in our culture. And a post-Christian society for us as Christians is one where our story isn't that well known, like Wayne in a manger. 
There are many people who don't know the truths of Christianity. Now, there are good things about that because they're not caught up with all the baggage that perhaps some have been caught up with in unhelpful experiences of Christianity. There's the opportunity to tell this new and fresh story. But there's so many people that don't yet know that story. Our symbols are unfamiliar. I spoke this morning about having a a cross tattoo on my arm. I got that because it reminds me that I'm loved by Jesus. It reminds me that he has transformed my life and that I am never alone. For me, there is real symbolism in that. But there are so many people today that think that a cross is just something nice to get tattooed. It's a nice little shape. They do not understand the significance of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. So our symbols are unfamiliar to many. Our buildings are alien. And I think there's curiosity, but there isn't hostility against many of us. Some of us may face a little bit of oppression. Maybe there are people around us who don't understand why we're a Christian and maybe mock us or put a bit of pressure on us. But we don't live in an outright hostile environment like some of our brothers and sisters around the world do, where they are persecuted for their faith. So we find ourselves in a situation where we are not the dominant voice in society, where people are not wanting to find out more about Christianity, where less than 50% of this country would say that they are Christians. What is our response to that? What is it that we as a community here in Sutton Coalfield need to take from that and to do in response to that? Well, to help us with that, I want to look at a passage from the Old Testament from Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was somebody that God would bring his message through. He was a prophet. He was a messenger. And um, Jeremiah brings a message to a group of people who have found themselves overtaken by not one but two nations. And they've not just been overtaken by two nations. A lot of them have been removed from their homes and taken from Jerusalem into Babylon, another place. So they've had to leave everything. They find themselves in another culture. There's another ruling body over them. They are in the minority. And so in Jeremiah chapter 29, starting at verse 1, we're told that Jeremiah is given this word from God. And it's from all of the people who have been exiled, who have been removed from Jerusalem to Babylon. And one person and his assistant have been given the responsibility of taking this letter by hand from Jerusalem to Babylon to pass on to the leaders to be shared amongst all of the exiles, as they are called. And so the first bit talks about that, with lots of long words and names of people that it's really difficult to pronounce. This, though, is what the letter says. This is God's message to those people that find themselves in a foreign culture. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters Increase in number there. Do not decrease. 
also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, just a little bit of background about this. So Jeremiah is speaking to Jews. They've been living under the rule of the Egyptian and Babylonian empires. These two empires have come in and have taken over them before they are eventually carried off from Jerusalem into Babylon into another place. Now, this group of people for years and for years and for years have continually turned their backs on God. They have worshipped other idols. They have bowed down to them. They have not sought God with all of their hearts. They have gone their own way. And for years and years, God has been speaking through Jeremiah. He's been telling them, turn back to me. I love you. I want the best for you. Turn back from me. Turn away from these other idols, these other gods that you've been entrapped by. For years, Jeremiah is bringing this message. And he's probably the most unpopular, one of the most unpopular prophets. Because the people were fed up with hearing this message time and time again. Stop banging on about it. We're just living our lives and getting on with it. And in the end, God just says to the people, okay, I've spoken to you time and time again. I've invited you to come back to me time and time again. But you've chosen to go your own way. And so God says, I'm not going to stand in your way. And God steps back. And God allows them to be overtaken by these two nations. And God allows them to be carried into exile, which is why In that passage, it says a couple of times, all of those I carried into exile, this sense that God says, I have let this happen. I haven't made it happen. I haven't wanted it to happen. But I've stepped back and let you face the consequences of your actions. And so these people find themselves in a slightly hostile environment where they're in the minority and they're trying to work out, well, how can I be a follower in this environment? What should I do? And I suspect for all those people that turned their back on God in that moment, they're on their knees, God, get us out of this. Please come save us. That would be me. That is always me when I've messed up. God, I'm sorry. Please come and help me. But their heart's desire would have been, God, okay, we've got ourselves into this mess. Please, would you just ride in, sweep in, and sort it all out for us? But rather than saying, okay, get yourselves packed up. I'm coming to get you out of here. God says something completely different. God says, actually, you're in this for the long haul. So I'm not coming quickly to get you out of this situation. I want you to put roots down. I want you to build a life in this community. I want you to invest in this community. I want you to leave this community in a better place than that which you found it. I want you to bring about change and transformation. So rather than saying, yeah, I'm going to get you out of there, God's like, put your roots down. God says, build houses and settle down. You only build a house if you're in it for a long period of time. If you're just there for the temporary, for a short period of time, You're never going to build a house. But a house is a home. It is where you feel safe and secure, where you're in it for the long haul. Build yourself a house. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Be self-sustaining. Don't rely on everybody else, but know that year after year, you're going to need to provide for yourself. Marry and have sons and daughters. 
and the next generation. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. We see a similar message from God in the very beginning when God created the human race. It's as if God is taking this group of people back to basics and saying, do you remember when I created the human race? I created you and I said, multiply, fill the earth. I said, I'm going to provide for you. Eat from the, from the land that I have produced. It's as if God is taking this group of people back to basics, back to the beginning and saying, remember what I created you to do? I want you to do that in that place. I want you to fill that place. I want you to build roots. And then, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and the prosperity. Pray. Pray for it. Pray for its prosperity, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Get involved in the community. Now, when we're in the minority, I often think there's three choices that we have in this kind of situation. They had choices, we have choices. If we are not the majority in our communities, in our friendship networks, in our workplaces, in our colleges, wherever we might be, I think there is three things that, one of which, or two of which, we we sometimes do. I think for us as Christians, one of the things that we can do is to become an exclusive and shut-off community, only investing in Christians in church. You kind of huddle closer. This is my people. I don't know what's going on out there. I don't understand all these people, so I'm going to huddle in even closer with those that I know and those that I understand. And there is a temptation to fill our times and our lives with people like us. People that have the same outlook upon life, the same values. Now, it's wonderful that we can gather together in this place. I would never want to stop that. It's wonderful that we can pray together, that we have small groups. Fantastic. We need that. We need cheerleaders in our lives that will say, go for it. Carry on what you're doing. But I think we mustn't do that exclusively that we mustn't just live our lives in holy huddles with other believers and not invest wider in our community and in our friendship networks, in and amongst those people that God has put us in for a purpose. Statistics would say the longer a person is a Christian, the less friends they have that aren't Christians. Because you gravitate towards those people that you know and that understand you. And it's easier in many senses. And I think there's a danger in that. Because if you look back at what God is saying to the people in the passage, he's saying, don't do that. He's saying, invest in your community. Pray, be proactive, get involved. So there is a challenge for us not to be just in our little congregations of Christians, but actually to balance our lives and our times between being built up and encouraged, but also being out there, being salt and light, being witnesses 
for Jesus. I think the second thing is that when we're not the greatest percentage of people in any situation, it can be very easy to get sucked into the values and the customs of the society that we find ourselves in, and we just blend in. We laugh at the jokes. We let things just slide. It's okay, I don't need to stand up for what's right. I'm just going to keep my head, uh, head down and just quietly go about my business. And we allow the culture to influence us rather than us and the power of the Holy Spirit influencing the culture in which God has placed us. The third thing that we can do, which is what this passage says, is to get involved and to bring the kingdom of Jesus into the city, into the town, into the workplace, into the home, into the friendship network, even into the station pub, because my, it needs it. All of you that thought that was the blinking best pub in Sutton, what's wrong with you? These places need us to be Jesus, to be salt and light, to be bearers of his truth, to bring his kingdom in. And one of the most powerful ways we do that is through prayer. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power of prayer. Because if we understood it, I think we would pray far more. That it's often an add-on at the end. Oh yes, and God, would you bless this? Rather than the first thing that we turn to, knowing that God is good, that God is faithful, that God can move mountains. And we struggle on. And we're called to pray. To pray for the places in which God has put us, for the people that God has placed us around. A couple of years before we went into lockdown, we had a week of prayer as a church. And uh, we asked people to sign up to come and spend some time in the prayer room. So we had loads of slots, people signed up. And we refreshed the prayer room. I say we, Deb refreshed the prayer room. She made it look fantastic. And there were lots of things to inspire and to prompt us. And one of the things that uh, Deb did was to put a big armchair in front of the window. And so you could look out. And uh, next to it, uh, she wrote... What can you see? Who can you see? Pray for them. And it was brilliant. And I remember being in there in my time, and I sat there. And that's the view from our prayer room. You can see the, uh, the Golden Gates of McDonald's. You can see the parade out there. On one of the days during that week of prayer, every single slot in the prayer room was taken and used except one. So throughout that whole day, people were coming and going. They were praying. They were sitting in that chair. They were looking out over our parade, and they were praying. And in that one slot, one afternoon in Sutton Coalfield, that our prayer room wasn't being used, a lad called Ozell Pemberton was stabbed just outside McDonald's, and he staggered over the road, he made it to the bus stop. Tragically, there he died. And I said this morning, and, and <laughs> I've continued to grapple with what happened. 
I've continued to grapple with the fact that the one slot in our prayer room that wasn't covered by one of us was when something happened on the parade, when there was a real act of evil, something tragic. And I've struggled with that, thinking if we'd have had someone there, would that not have happened? If we'd have had someone there, would they have been sitting there and have seen it happen and been able to pray into the situation? Would someone have been sitting there and have been completely traumatized by that situation? I don't know. It's one of those things that I just don't know, but it has really stuck with me these past four or five years, just thinking, what if? And I don't want ever to be in that situation again where I think, why didn't I pray more? Why didn't I? Because prayer is one of the easiest things that we can do, and it's one of the most powerful things that we can do. And I think often we underestimate the power of prayer, but I think the devil doesn't underestimate the power of prayer. I think he knows just how powerful prayer is and seeks to do all that he can to undermine us in our efforts to pray. A couple of years before that week of prayer, we had another week of prayer. We quite like weeks of prayer. They're good. They're really good things to do. We had another week of prayer. And on the Friday afternoon, um, there was a lady walking down Trinity Hill she got to outside our church and a guy attacked her with a knife, stabbed her repeatedly in our car park over the road in the hall. I came out of the office and she was sat slumped up to the gates that we used to have there. And we had this big banner at the time on those gates. Those of you that were here will remember the big banner. It was green. It said, try praying. And she was set up against this, she wasn't set up, she was bent over, sat looking terrible. And um, you want to close your kids' ears, Deb? The, um, <laughs> the banner was just covered in blood. It was awful. And that lady and her baby's lives were spared by centimetres. And she has made a remarkable recovery. She's been and given testimony in our church. It is incredible. When we pray, there's often opposition. That again shook our church. We are praying for our community and these things happen. We're launching something called prayer walking communities today in our church. And I've been really excited about this. And I have to tell you that I've had one of those most horrible weeks where I felt completely attacked and everything has gone wrong and it has been a nightmare. And on Thursday, Mark Steele, my colleague, he said, Kath, how's your week going? I said, it's flipping terrible, Mark. And he goes, what's happening? And I went through this whole list of woes. Oh, my life, it's just awful. And he said, hold on a minute, let's just think, which is good. He was able to step back without my emotion. And he said, let's just think what's happening in the church at the moment. We've got a group of 40 young people going away for the weekend, which is fantastic. And we're launching these prayer walking communities. Is it any wonder that we're facing a bit of opposition and life is difficult? And you think, yes, obviously. The devil understands how powerful prayer is and will do all he can to scupper us. And so I want to encourage you to join us in uh, fighting the good fight, in getting out there and praying for our community. We may be fewer in number, 
But we have a God who is mighty to save. We have a God who is all-powerful. We have a God who wants us to walk with him through these streets, bringing his kingdom in. And so what we've done is we've looked at Sutton Coalfield and we have split it up into lots of different areas that we are going to call communities. And we want to encourage you to get involved in a community and to join us in prayer walking. When I shared this this morning, someone sent me an email afterwards and had a sense of God speaking. I just want to read you what they said. They said, there's something in all this that you're doing as a church that is dangerous. I've been unsettled this week and really felt alert to spiritual attack and yet couldn't properly engage this morning in church. I was stirred too much to speak out. And then you talked about these prayer teams and it was like, yes, God. And at the same time, be local, pray where you live. Don't move out too far to other areas. Pray for your neighborhood. And she goes on, this is what I was drawn to. This is from Isaiah 58. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. It's serious stuff, prayer, not to be taken lightly, not to be done just for the sake of it. Yet because the Lord is ready to move, as people stand up and realize there is a cost to prayer, it's freedom for others. And commitment to knowing all things are possible when we arise and act. God's on the move. Always has been, to be honest. We just need to listen to him. God is on the move. Aslan is on the move, as they would say. And we're excited. We want to partner with him. We want to be part of that. So I want to invite you to be part of a prayer walking community. Now, in every area, every community, there'll be a leader or two. And they will arrange for there to be one official prayer walk in your area each month. But alongside that, there will be a WhatsApp group. Uh, And the WhatsApp group is for people to say, do you know what, I've got a spare half hour tomorrow. Anyone else free? Anybody want to just come and prayer walk with me? Just on a really ad hoc basis that, yeah, okay, I can do that. Fantastic. Let's go and pray together. Or it may be that there are needs in the area that somebody knows about and that you're able to share. There's been a burglar in my street this week, or there's been an accident, or whatever it might be, that the WhatsApp group isn't for those wonderful Christian songs and memes and prayers that you all send to me in my other WhatsApp group. May the Lord bless you. Um, We've all been a part of those groups, haven't we? But it is just going to be specifically to help us to pray. And also, the groups will meet together once a term for a social, where we can get to know each other, where we know I'm not the only Christian in this area, but there are others who will spur me on, who will encourage me, and who will pray with me. So currently, we now have eight prayer walking communities. We started off with seven this morning. We now have eight. It is growing. So we have Central Sutton Coalfield, led by Kate Sturgis and Sharon Newey. We have Boldmere. I love this picture of Vanessa. Uh, Led by Vanessa Henderson. Four Oaks North. Now, Four Oaks is massive. So what we tried to do was to divide it into north and south. And so you know where Mere Green is? You know the islands where you've got the um, Italian restaurant and the shops? Anything north of that is Four Oaks North, and anything south of it is Four Oaks South. Yeah, it's not making much sense. We'll get there. We'll work this out. So Four Oaks North is uh, Mike and Zoe Lissa. Oh, 
Four Oaks South is Liz and Bobby, love it, Liz and Bobby Watson. But then Howell and Janet said, well, you know, we're kind of in Four Oaks, but we're not. We're in, it's called Rougely, but it's, it's spelled roughly. I don't understand that, but that's how it is. They're kind of like Rougely slash Harvestfields estate. So they're starting up a prayer walking uh, community there. They grabbed some other people this morning and they've all said, yes, we're going to go for it. Fantastic. So if there's an area that we don't cover and that you think, yes, I want to do that, do talk to me. We'll get you up on the screen with a lovely picture and we will share that with others. Falcon Lodge, we have Dave and Denise Taylor, which is brilliant. Val Inchley is on her bike around Warmly. And again, Warmly is massive, so it might be that we divide Warmly into uh, a couple of zones. Val can't cover it all on her bike. Uh, and then we are currently... Um, just talking to a couple of people in uh, Wild Green, and that will be uh, off the ground in uh, a week or so. So we have all of these communities, and I want to invite you to go on our website or use the QR code. There'll be more details about this in um, next week's email about how you can join up and be part of one. Sheila, if you and the band want to come and join me just as I'm finishing up. There's a guy that said this, you are a missionary to the little corner of the world that awaits its own arrival. Someone once described a missionary not as somebody who goes overseas, but as somebody who sees the cross. I love that. Who understands the death of Jesus and his resurrection in their life and the impact that that can have in the lives of those around. I want to be part of seeing Sutton Coalfield welcome in the kingdom of God. I want to be part of the under 65s and the over 65s knowing Jesus. Part of the way that we do that is to pray. It is to pray for this place's prosperity. It's to pray for a move of the kingdom. And sometimes we need the motivation and the encouragement of others. Would you partner with us and be part of one of our prayer walking communities? Would you commit to praying once a month with other people walking the streets, bringing the kingdom of God in? Your leaders will give you lots of ideas and tips on how to prayer walk and what that means. It's just very simple, going out being Jesus on the streets. It's not about approaching everybody that you meet and telling them that they're going to hell. It's far more subtle and simple, yet powerful and effective. I want to invite you to partner with us in that. just want to pray for an openness to whatever God's saying and just to ask him to fill us afresh. There's a, there's a wonderful worship song that we're going to sing that um, allows us to respond in that way, talking about breaking our hearts for what breaks God's heart, for saying, God, I want to be part of what you're doing. I want to see change in my friends, in my family, in my community. Let's pray. Father, sometimes it seems so overwhelming and daunting to think about the numbers of people that we know that don't yet know you. Father, I thank you that you know each of them by name. I thank you that Jesus died for them. And I thank you that you invite us to partner with you in shining your light 
into the darkness. Father, right now, we invite you to pour out your Holy Spirit into our lives. That where we feel weak or fearful, where we feel as though, how on earth could you use me? I pray that you would give us a true understanding of who we are in your power, that through you we can do all things. I pray too that you give us a fresh revelation of the power of prayer. Something so simple, something so powerful. Help us to be women and men that prioritize prayer, that prioritize time in your presence where we're able to be real about us and our lives and our struggles, but also where we pray for our friends and our family, for our community. And we pray for these prayer walking communities. Father, we pray that we would catch your vision and your heart for this town, that you would help us to say yes, that you'd help us to commit, that you'd help us to walk these streets and to bring your kingdom in. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.